Today's episode of Carson Sack is brought to you by Bumble, where women make the first move. Connecting has never been more fun, safe, or awesome. Bumble shows you the people you want to see and lets you connect by a mutual opt-in by swiping right. Hit that ish. Hello, hello. Welcome to Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. This is the 24th episode of The Sack, so come on in, sit down, grab a beverage, kick your feet up, and hopefully you'll enjoy this 24th episode of Carson's Sack Podcast. On The Sack today, we're going to talk the usual balls. We're going to talk some college football, big weekend coming up for college football this coming week. And then we're going to talk NFL, as always, a very lackadaisical, mediocre week seven this past weekend for the NFL. So hopefully this coming week eight that we're going to preview is a little bit better. Then we're also going to preview the World Series game one of that between the Dodgers and the Astros is tonight and then we're gonna wrap things up with some other news and notes um the nba about four or five games for a couple teams through we're gonna talk a little bit about that then there's some other news around the golf world a certain uh certain tiger woods is swinging the clubs pretty well from a couple videos he's put out so we're gonna touch on that just for a little bit and then we're gonna wrap things up here on the sack so stick around we've got a great episode for you for episode 24. So without further to do, the first ball we are going to talk about is college football. And this past week, there were only about two big games that I'm really going to dive into and dissect. First one, though, was the Saturday night game in Happy Valley, the whiteout. It looked insane. We had the 19th-ranked Michigan Wolverines going to the second-ranked undefeated Penn State Nittany Lions. Penn State dominated both sides of the ball and got a big win, 42-13 over Michigan. McSorley and Barkley quarterback-running back combo for Penn State, each accountable for three touchdowns apiece. So all the points scored by them, which was a little concerning, which I think is a little concerning at least. I mentioned it last week for this game that the Penn State wide receivers need to step up and take a little bit of pressure off those two because sooner or later they're going to face a defense, which could be next week, could be down the line. They're going through a very big gauntlet right now in their schedule where they might shut down one of those two and receivers are going to need to step up and make plays and just take pressure and keep defensive honest where they can't keep loading the box and stuff like that. What was encouraging though, um, Hamilton wide receiver for Penn State did have six receptions and 115 yards, which like I said, they need somebody to step up, take some pressure off those two. And if Hamilton can keep the production up, that's only going to help Penn State because it keeps defenses honest and it adds another threat to that already deadly combo that they have there in Happy Valley. The entire turnaround that Penn State has had since the whole allegations and scandals with Joe Paterno and Sandusky is incredible. Shout out to James Franklin for all of that. For his, He's a great recruiter, but something about him makes me think that he is just not a fun person to be around. Um, probably is a dickhead and I I mean, whatever, as long as you keep winning, that cures everything and you can overlook some stuff, but I, I just don't really like him. And then as we look for the other team in this game, Michigan, they were just shut down completely on both sides of the ball. Um, O'Korn, their quarterback, only at 166 yards. Higdon, uh, 45 yards on the ground. Their running back did have a touchdown. They need to find their identity on offense. Normally, the quarterback situation with Harbaugh isn't a problem, but they've been going back and forth between Spate and O'Corn all year, and they just need to decide already. I'm not 100% sure why they would deviate from Spate because he has been proven that he's a good player, good leader, doesn't get rattled by big pressure situations 
Yes, he did have some turnover troubles last year, but I thought this whole offseason with Harbaugh getting their system in place a little bit more was going to only help him, and I liked him a lot to be a great, great contributor for that team and maybe even um, challenge for the MVP in the Big Ten. But... It's not working out that way. Michigan moves to 5-2 and two on the year, more than likely out of the playoff, but they can still play their way top 10 to a great bowl, but like I said, more than likely out of the playoff. Penn State, though, they have a huge showdown against Ohio State next week at Ohio State. Second-ranked Nittany Lions going to sixth-ranked Buckeyes. Going to look at that in a little bit of depth coming up after I talk about this next game. So the next big game that took place last weekend, you had the 11th ranked USC Trojans going to the 13th ranked Notre Dame fighting Irish. And this, once again, total domination on both sides of the ball by Notre Dame against USC. Notre Dame, like I said, wins this one 49-14. Brandon Wimbush, quarterback for Notre Dame, 129 yard, 120 yards through the air. My apologies. Two touchdowns, though. But he ran for two more, so accountable for four touchdowns. You love to see that production from a dual-threat quarterback like that. And then Josh Adams, running back for Notre Dame, really big game. 191 yards on 19 carries, and then he has three touchdowns. That production from Notre Dame, their ground game has only gotten better this year. Each game, you can it's noticeable how they just take steps forward in their ground game and as a team to get better. Notre Dame's defense very slept on, shut down Sam Darnell. He only had 229 yards. Yes, he did have two touchdowns, but he did have an interception. And USC, speaking of interceptions, had three turnovers in the game. And they scored, Notre Dame did, on every possession after a turnover from USC. So that's big. It shows that Notre Dame has taken advantage of mistakes, showing that turnovers, when they happen get for them, they're taking advantage of it, putting points on the board. That's what good teams do. That's what teams that... Um, need big wins like Notre Dame does. They're sitting at 6-1 and one on the year. As always, they control their own destiny. They have a bit of a tough schedule coming up. They close with Sta- at Stanford, I believe, and that is always a good game, tough game. But that is super far down the line. Like I said, Notre Dame, it's very obvious you can see it. Their team progressing each week from week to week with their run game, how well their defense is playing, how they're able to shut down the opposing team's best player. They've done that week in and week out since the second week of the year. And then, like I said, their offense on the ground and the team as well, just coming together, progressing each week. Notre Dame sitting at 13th right now. They are they're a dangerous team. I still don't trust them and Brian Kelly 100% right now, but... If they keep playing as well as they did this game, they are going to cause a lot of havoc and probably, if they win out, find their way in the college football playoff. On the other side of this, USC more than likely out of the college football playoff. Sam Darnell, who was uh, touted as the number one draft pick for this year, number one quarterback, all that, he has just been disappointing this year. And I don't think he's been... Super disappointing, but when you have such expectations that he had, it's it's so hard to live up to those. So I think he's regressed a little bit, and I don't know if it's just mentally the pressure and all the hype has gotten to him because that's he's a 20-year-old college kid. That's easy to do when you are in that position. Let all the hype get to you. Let all that pressure get to you. So I'm not taking anything away from Notre Dame's defense. They played well, but I think Sam Darnell this entire year has just slowly regressed, um, not week by week, because he does mix in a few big games here and there. But like I said, I think the pressure and the hype has gotten to him a little bit. So look for USC to finish up, maybe even have a chance to play in the Pac-12 championship game. But their college football playoff hopes, I think they are all but obsolete. Now, we look at some other games around. I'm not going to dive into these or really anything like that, but you have the 10th-ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys. They went to Texas. They get an overtime win due the Cowboys 13-10 over Texas, and that's a big game for them at Texas. Texas always plays them tough. They have the past five years. Um, 
going on top to build that though. Oklahoma State has a tough schedule coming down here, but if they can find their way in the Big 12 championship game, I think, and they win that and they sit there with one loss, they still have a great opportunity to get into the college football playoff, in my opinion. The next game, Alabama did Alabama things. They won 45-7 over Tennessee. The big news in this one was a uh, Tennessee player, when they were down 28-2-0 in the third quarter, they scored a touchdown. Good for you. Celebrate a little bit. But he decides to go and flick off the Alabama fans. Questionable call. Ballsy call. I like it. Let them know you got some swagger. Let them know you got an attitude on you. That's totally fine. But uh, just... When you're losing that much, just give the ball back to the ref. Slap your slap your teammates' uh, helmet a couple times. Maybe if you're feeling it, have the lineman lift you up in the air like they do sometimes. But uh, just don't flick off um, the fans when you're down 28-0 to make it 28-7. Just not the best decision that the guy could have made in that situation. Then the next game, coming off the huge upset that happened two weeks ago, Syracuse went to the 8th-ranked Miami Hurricanes. Miami wins this one 27-19, keeping their playoff hopes alive. And they're looking to be in the driver's seat in the ACC right now. They have a couple tough games left, but I think if they even do lose one of those and they end up winning the ACC and end up playing a Clemson or a Virginia Tech in the conference championship game and they end up winning that, sitting at a one-loss team, ACC, they still have a good chance of making the college football playoffs. So Miami bringing back the U of old almost, it seems like, with Mark Rick down there. So just keep an eye on the Hurricanes. I feel like they are flying super under the radar right now. They're sitting at eighth, and I just think that team needs a little bit more respect. Granted, they haven't played really any big games that are hyped up a lot. They've played a little lesser opponents. They like I said, played Syracuse last week. They played Florida State. Florida State's having a down year, but Miami flying under the radar. Just keep your eyes on the Hurricanes. That's all I'm saying. So we looked back. Now let's look ahead to this upcoming week in college football. There's about four games that I really want to get into, and the first one, I'm just going to get straight into it. It's 3.30 kickoff time. Don't enjoy that at all, but Penn State is going to Ohio State. Penn State 7-0, Ohio State 6-1. This game has huge implications for the college football playoff and the Big Ten race as well. So before I dive into it, I do want to say the spread right now on Tuesday as I record this is Ohio State as a 6.5 point favorite. Well, I'll tell you what. If I was a betting man and anybody wants to take me up on this, I will give you Penn State, I'll give you 10 points, and this is why. The first big reason is it's at Ohio State, and Ohio State is in an alternate uniform. They're going all gray this weekend. Nice, very nice combo that they got going, a nice design they have by Nike. Ohio State undefeated when they wear alternate jerseys since they started doing that I think about eight or nine years ago also Urban Meyer 21 and one through his career coming off of a bye week what did Ohio State have last week a bye week also last year Penn State blocks a field goal Beats Ohio State at Penn State. Propels this program for Penn State to national prominence again, I feel like. Got them into the playoff conversation. Got them to the Big Ten Championship game and where they ultimately won that. What I'm trying to say is it a revenge game for Urban Meyer. And it's hard to beat Urban Meyer back-to-back years. And I just don't think he's going to let that happen. I think he's going to have the Buckeyes going pretty well. I'm going to have them so motivated and just so ready to get revenge for last year's game that I I just think Ohio State's going to play so fast, so physical, that they're going to dominate on both sides of the ball. Now, here is another reason why. Ohio State's front seven with their D-line that goes two, two deep at some positions, three deeps at others, is going to be able to have fresh bodies in there every play. And they're going to be able to get after the quarterback when they have to. And they're going to be able to shut down or at least contain Barkley. Shutting down Barkley is going to be very difficult. I think he has about 82 to 87 yards and a touchdown. But 
I think in the passing game is where he might hurt them a little bit more just because I think he's going to get out in the flats a little bit, find some spaces and some zones where people aren't, and get some quick quick hitters, quick gains, nice little gains like that. But I think ultimately he only has a touchdown, probably has about 40, 45 yard, 40 to 45 yards receiving, and then 82 to 87 yards on the ground, only one touchdown. I think Ohio State slows him down I don't think you that, that is in no way shutting someone down but I think they slow him down enough with their front four at d-line and then their front seven adding the linebackers into it those guys are going to be key in this game on top of that though we look at the corner situation the secondary situation for Ohio State going up against unproven Penn State receivers the first two games for Ohio State their corners and secondary got demolished by Indiana and Oklahoma what is encouraging though they've seemed to be getting better week by week adjusting to Greg Shano's system at what they had and they were replacing three three first round three or four first round picks last year and that's just so much to ask of these guys that haven't made starts and to replace that much talent and having the expectations that hey we had this much talent at the last year that they went to the NFL their first round picks that you all need to come in and play that well that's a little unrealistic but they have been improving week by week so I like I like their chances of being able to contain and slow down and maybe even I think that's where they dominate is the passing game where the secondary for Ohio State shuts down Penn State receivers and really forces McSorley and Barkley to win the game, which they've proven since last year that they can do, but I don't think they faced a team as good defensively front seven wise as they're going to this weekend with Ohio State and like I said it's at Ohio State that place is going to be bananas so close this whole thing up I think JT Barrett Penn State's defense very very slept on they're very good they return eight starters I believe but I think Barrett again He's improved. It's so hard to think he even has, but he's continued to improve. The running game with Dobbins and Mike Weber, that one-two punch is very good. Paris Campbell, I think, is going to have a big game. And then I I think uh, Hill is also going to have a big game. I think two touchdowns out of Hill at the receiver position for Ohio State. And then I think Ball, the tight end, is going to have a big game. I also think he has around... 80 yards and a touchdown. I know that's asking a lot because all those playmakers, can you get them all the ball? But I just think revenge game at Ohio State, 21-1 Urban is after bye weeks in the alternate uniforms, undefeated. Buckeyes win this one with an emphatic statement win over Penn State. The next game on the slate for this weekend is another big insert number here, conference game. It's going to be the Big 12, and we're going to go out east to West Virginia, where Oklahoma State, they're sitting at 11th in the country, is going to play West Virginia, obviously. They're 22nd in the country, West Virginia 5-2. and two. This game is going to be a shootout. I wish... I wish both these teams had a little bit more of a run game, but that's okay. It's going to be a great game. Mason Rudolph, quarterback for Oklahoma State, a little little underwhelming year so far. Had a lot of people on him to be the Heisman frontrunner and winner, but that's okay. He's still leading his team to win 6-1 and one on the year. Going up against Will Greer. From West Virginia, he's having a fantastic year statistically. 2,467 yards, almost said 24,000. Talk about a arm if that was the case. But 26 touchdowns and only 5 interceptions. Great, great numbers there. I'm going to take West Virginia in this one. I just think at home, Will Greer, big game, primetime, ABC, noon kickoff. Noon kickoff sucks for the students, I'll give you that. I guarantee, though, they'll be up 4 a.m., 
3 a.m., who knows, maybe some will just stay up from Friday night, roll right into the tailgate, and like burning couches, maybe before the game, after the win, definitely. And I think that knocks Oklahoma State out of the Big 12 contention and ultimately knocks them out of the college football playoff contention as well. West Virginia, big win this weekend against Oklahoma State. We are going to stay in the Big 12 for our next game as the 7-0 TCU Horn Frogs. What does TCU stand for? Texas Christian University. Hopefully you knew that. If not, hey, learn something today. They go to Iowa State, who is 25th in the country. Iowa State upset Oklahoma earlier this year in Oklahoma, in Norman. Big win for them. TCU trying to avoid that same fate in Ames. Iowa State's quarterback loves to fling it around. Park only does have 100 1,181 yards, but he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, which is important because in close games, which Iowa State has been in a lot of close games this year, you can't be turning the ball over. What I think is a big advantage for Iowa State is Baker Mayfield, mobile quarterback, can beat you through the air or on the ground with his legs. That is just like Kenny Hill for TCU, so they might have the blueprint for stopping mobile quarterbacks that can beat you duly through the air and on the ground so look for this to be a little bit of a challenging game I feel like for TCU but I think TCU's defense shows up stops Iowa State's offense and in the end pulls away I think it's close until about middle of the third and then TCU shows up Kenny Hill explodes for a big touchdown run I feel like in the middle to end of the third quarter just Huge momentum swing, and then TCU's defense all day going to be grinding. I think they do a little bit of a bend-don't-break situation there. Same with Iowa State, too. I think both these defenses bend but don't break the first three quarters, and then, like I said, middle of the third, end of the third, TCU shows up, shows they're the better team, dominates that, dominates the fourth, and gets a big win in Ames at Iowa State, avoiding the upset, keeping their playoff hopes alive. The next big game, we're going to go to some independents. You got North Carolina State from the ACC going to Notre Dame independent. Notre Dame, ninth in the country. North Carolina State, 14th in the country. Both teams, 6-1. and one. According to ESPN, the Fighting Irish have 76% to win. I think it's 50-50 because either it does happen or it doesn't. That's just like life. Either stuff happens or it doesn't happen. Everything in life, 50-50. This game, though... I like North Carolina State to keep it close. If they do have a chance of winning, Finley, their quarterback, is going to need to have a big game. He doesn't have any turnovers interception-wise on the year. He has 11 touchdowns and almost 2,000 yards. What is going to be difficult, though, for North Carolina State, I feel like, is slowing down the ground game for the Irish. Nobody has really been able to do that so far this year. It did happen in the one loss that Notre Dame had, but that was early on in the year. I think Wimbush and Adams last week both contributing three touchdowns on the ground. I think they continued that. The success rolls over, but... In the end, though, I think a North Carolina State does keep this game close, but Notre Dame pulls away with the ground game and gets a big win to help boost their playoff resume and moves to 7-1 on the year. Notre Dame over North Carolina State this upcoming weekend. And then just some other games to look at. The third-ranked Georgia Bulldogs going to Florida. Big rivalry game. Florida has won, I think, the past three meetings, but I don't think that continues this week. I think it's a close game, but in the end, Georgia gets another SEC win, moving to 8-0 on the year. Next game, another Big 12 game. Texas Tech going to 10th-ranked Oklahoma. I think this is a huge scoring game. Take the over. Oklahoma, 20-point favorite. I don't think they cover. I think Texas Texas Tech has enough firepower to stay with them, but I don't think their defense is good enough, and I don't think the team is disciplined enough. That is not a shot at Cliff Kingsbury. You're a handsome man, great coach. I like you a lot. Hopefully, you can just keep things building there for Texas Tech as a program, and you can get to a better school. I know that's your alma mater, and you want to stay there and build them up, but just keep your options open. That's all I'm saying. But Oklahoma, I think their defense is good enough, and they shut down Texas Tech late when it's needed, and they get a big win in the Big 12. And then the last game, another ACC game, Georgia Tech going to 7th-ranked Clemson. Clemson trying to rebound after that loss from Syracuse. Kelly Bryant, not 100% just yet for Clemson. I think you sit him. I think Georgia Tech 
is going to have a tough time running that triple option against the front seven of Clemson, which is so good, so dirty, so swag that I just think that they play so physical that Georgia Tech going to have a tough time doing that. I think Clemson gets a lead big enough, I think maybe a 17-point lead, where Georgia Tech's going to be forced to throw the ball, and they're just not that proficient in that. Rest Kelly Bryant, get him ready for a big matchup next week against mm-hmm. North Carolina State, and then let's just hold off on him one more week. Clemson, good win against Georgia Tech. Don't don't look too far ahead to next week and games down the line. Just take care of this week, Clemson, and you'll be all right. Now, moving on from college football, we get to talk about the guys that get paid. No comment on the guys that might get paid in the NCAA, but we're going to talk some NFL, and it is now time for the Rapid Fire Recap. And suddenly, to my surprise, he did the match. He did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. He did the match. It caught on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match. So, you're probably thinking, Carson, what the hell is going on? Why did you play that? Um, Where are the air horns? It is the Halloween episode of Carson's Sack. Halloween is next Tuesday. So, for the Rapid Fire Recap, the theme is going to be All Halloween. First game, Boo, not Boom, Halloween Spirit. Follow me here. Stay with it. You're going to like it. Chiefs go to the Raiders and this... Three on time down, end to the game. Sort of like that house on the block just leaves the bowl out with all the candy in it. And you just keep circling, going back to it to get all them good little treats. Chiefs lose this one to the Raiders, 31-30. Michael Crabtree catching a big untimed zero time left on the clock win for the Raiders, 31-30. AFC West moving them up. Next game, boo, Titans at Browns, and all I could say about this one is this game is just like the house that gives out apples on Halloween. Titans win this one in overtime, 12-9. Next game, boo, Cardinals at Rams, and it might as well just been Friday the 13th for the Cardinals. Jared Goff should change his name to Jason because he was slashing up the Cardinals defense all day, and he's going to be haunting their nightmares for weeks to come. Rams win this one in a shutout, 33-0. Next game, boom, Bengals at the Steelers, and that hide-and-go-seek touchdown celebration by the Steelers was fire than Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Shout-out to Lil Wayne for that reference, and shout-out to Beetlejuice for being such an underrated Halloween movie. The Steelers get a nice AFC North win, 29-14. Next game, boo, Ravens at the Vikings. Quoth the Raven, nevermore is what a Sir Edgar Allan Poe like to say, but Flacco and Harbaugh for the Ravens, I guess they just like to say, quoth the Raven, we ain't going to win no more. Vikings win this one, 24-16. Next game, boo, Falcons go to Foxborough and face the Patriots and just like every remake of any scary movie ever, Halloween, Friday the 13th, anything like Scream, anything, any series, this game just didn't live up to the original from the Super Bowl, Patriots win a blowout, 23-7. to Last game, boo, Redskins go to the Eagles where Carson Wentz shows that he might just be like Stephen King and have it because he throws for four touchdowns and leads the team in rushing where the Redskins, they just seem like they're playing like Pet Cemetery. Yeah, I'm saying it is a better movie than Pet Cemetery. That is what I'm saying. Eagles win this one 34-24. Hopefully that edition of rapid fire recap of the nfl weekend that was was a bit of a treat and not a trick for you so coming now is the preview for some games of this upcoming week and there are not a lot of good games on paper one that is looking all right is the steelers going to the lions for sunday night football i think that the Steelers have this one wrapped up. 
already before the game starts. Sorry about that. But I feel like if the Lions are going to have a chance, they're without their number one receiver, Golden Tate, AC joint sprain, just traded form in my fantasy football league. Would you like to hear more about my fantasy football team? No, would you? I would, would you? Like, I'd like to tell, would you? I'll tell you about it. Those people are so annoying that won't just shut up about their fantasy football team. I get it. You play. Welcome. You're part of the other two million people that do it. Oh, I don't care about their teams either. I don't. But they're without him. And then, like I said, I think the only way Detroit wins this game is if Amir Abdullah substitutes on the ground to make up for what might be lacking with Golden Tate's production through the uh, through receiving. I think if he can get good gains, get three to four yards each run he has, and just keep possession with the uh, Lions. They have a good chance to win. Steelers' defense has gone under the radar all year. James Harrison stepping back, taking a little bit lesser role, but their pass rushers that they got there with TJ Watt and Bud Dupree and Ryan Shazier is coming along nicely. And then Cameron Hayward, the savvy veteran that anchors that right side of the D-line. They're playing well. Their secondary, a little questionable right now, but Artie Burns and Joe Hayden are playing pretty good. Mike Mitchell back there, safety, hardest hitter in the league. I feel like, okay, maybe not, but he's up there. Their defense is coming along pretty nicely. That's what I think is showcased in this game. Le'Veon Bell has been running the ball ridiculously well these past couple games. I think a heavy dose of him, and I think the defense for Pittsburgh steps up, shows out on a big Sunday night stage, and the Steelers move to 6-2 and two on the year after a win over the Lions. And then the next game, we go out west to the Seahawks, where they will be taking on the Texans. Deshaun Watson has played out of his mind so far since taking over for Tom Savage in that starting quarterback position for the Texans. You picked Watson 12th. I have no idea why you even started Savage to begin with. But the Seahawks on the other end, they are just, they're very questionable to me. They're suspect is what they are. I just don't foresee them being able to keep doing what they're doing. They're starting off really slow in every game. And in four of them, they come out in the second half, in the third quarter, and made the corrections, made the adjustments at halftime, and they come out and they win the games. Those other two, obviously, they didn't where they lost. But that's just a theme for them all the past couple of years. They're they're okay the first couple games of the year, first half of the year, and then around week 10, week 11, they take off and they get good get some momentum through the playoffs, but I just don't like that pattern that's happening. I don't think it happens this year. I think they have too many questions on offense with the running situation and their offensive line situation. Russell Wilson is going to be relied on too much. Granted, he is a great quarterback, makes good decisions, able to scramble, always keeps his eyes downfield, but I just think that's asking too much of him. He thrives when he has a running game that takes some pressure off of him, and they just don't have that this year. So I like the Texans to put up a lot of points this game. I think Watson is going to make some mistakes. I mean, he's playing... Great defense with the Seahawks. You can always count on that with Michael Bennett up front, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman, um, Bobby Wagner, all back there for them. I, I'm going to take the Texans at an upset here over the Seahawks to get to 4-3 and three on the year. Texans a big win this weekend against the Seahawks at Seattle. The next game is the 425 Fox game. It's the NFC game. You got the Cowboys going to the Redskins. Ezekiel Elliott can play again this week because his hearing or something got pushed back again. So I like the Cowboys in this one. I think it'll be a high-scoring game. I think Kirk Cousins comes out, puts up a lot of points. I think um, Jordan Reed has a big game. What is a little concerning for me is the Redskins are not really utilizing Terrell Pryor, who I thought was one of the bigger free agent signings throughout the league last year in this offseason, but it just hasn't worked out yet. Cousins and him just don't have that timing down yet. Um, it has been six games, so you would like to think that it would be there by now, but it's just not. They do have some other weapons with Crowder and Doxson. Doxson, first-round pick out of TCU two years ago. Crowder is still there. He's a nice possession guy. Chris Thompson out of the backfield, the running back, still a viable option, and and uh, Jordan Reed as well. There's a lot of playmakers on that offense that they just need to figure out ways to get everybody involved. I would like to see Pryor a little bit more involved, 
but that could come with time. That's my only concern. Cowboys, though, I think Zeke has another big day. Last week, he had a huge, huge game, and I think that continues. I think he's going to try and just play balls out because he doesn't know when his last snap of this year could potentially be. So balls to the wall every play from Zeke, and I'm going to take Cowboys in this one to get a nice NFC East matchup win. Then the last game to look at, you got the Broncos going to the Chiefs. These two games were arguably the best games of the year last year. Broncos on a bit of a slide right now. Trevor Simeon without his, I would say, top target in Emmanuel Sanders the last two games getting upset last week by the Chargers and then two weeks ago getting majorly upset by the Giants. Giants front seven showed up big in that game. Uh, Chargers defense showed up big in this game from last week where they shut down the Broncos. They didn't get any points on the board. What is so concerning is that the Broncos, and I'm going to get into this after all of this, their quarterback situation questionable and their defense just can't do it all for them. Chiefs on the other end, Alex Smith so far, I think MVP of the league. He's leading the league in so many statistical categories for quarterbacks that he's playing well enough. Obviously, they're 5-2. and two. They were the only undefeated team left before they played the Steelers two weeks ago. I like the Broncos to keep it close in this one, but I think a big play by Tyreek Hill around the start of the fourth quarter blows this game wide open, gives the Chiefs a ton of momentum. I think the Chiefs win this one in a big AFC West matchup. Now, there are two other things not game-related that I would like to talk about for the NFL. The first one is going to be Martavius Bryant and requesting all these trades. I think he is justified to be upset. I do think he's being a little bit of a distraction, but I understand his frustration because, one, he's a good player. He's a dynamic player. Yes, he's thought of to be only a deep threat, but he's shown in the past he can go across the middle, he can catch screens and get yards after catch. He's a versatile player that they're just not using to the best of his ability. What If I were him, that would be so frustrating and what honestly hurt my feelings and pissed me off is when he was suspended for the year, he, in interviews, has told many people and anybody that listened that the Steelers organization and a lot of the players kind of shunned him. They didn't reach out to him. They didn't show that they cared or acted like they cared. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger, your quarterback, didn't even reach out to you. That's a little... That's upsetting, and I can understand Martavius being upset about that. So when he says this organization and his teammates haven't been there for him the entire time, that's a reason to request a trade. And if you feel like you can go and perform better somewhere else because you're not getting the opportunities, which he let he was second on the team in targets last week and I think a couple of weeks before, and he's just not doing enough with those targets, obviously. He clearly knows he can play better, and it's just frustrating that – he does need to take a little bit of responsibility because he is getting the targets and whatnot, but I think this team needs to rally around him. I think there's too much separation going on. Tomlin has shown that he's a level-headed guy because he sees a lot of the potential that Martavis has, and he has a ton of potential. He could be a top 10 receiver, top 5 receiver in this league with growth and development of other aspects of his game to build onto the deep threat that he already is. But, like I said, if this team rises around him, he can become a very productive member of this team. Could be added to the Killer Bees with Bryant, Roth, Big Ben, sorry, and Bell. Add Bryant to that and then... Um, just work him in with the passing game with Juju Smith-Schuster and uh, Antonio Brown and have him. That's deadly. That's maybe one of, if not the best receiving core in the NFL. Just rally around him, show him you're there, and get him the ball a little bit more and let him have opportunities to make big plays. And if not, that's on him, and he needs to have a look in the mirror and say, hey, I'm not playing well enough. That's not their fault. That's my fault. And then this next, it's not really an issue, it's just an observation, and I guess you could say it's an issue. Once Tom Brady, Drew Brees, um, Phillip Rivers, we can throw him in there, Eli Manning, and uh, Ben Roethlisberger retire, there is sort of a lack of elite quarterbacks, you could say. Russell Wilson could be there. Cam Newton has shown when he plays as well as he can, he can win the MVP unanimously, all that as well. He can be good, but 
there's just so many teams with question marks at the quarterback position that this league, there's only 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL, and it just blows my mind how hard it is to find 32 people that are good enough to be quarterbacks because you have teams like the Browns and then the Dolphins with Jay Cutler and their backups and then the 49ers where there are teams that just can't find a quarterback. So I'm 32. Let's say out of those 32, 8 to 10. We'll be generous and say 10 of those. 10 of those should be very good, like top-level quarterbacks. And then I would say 6 to 8. We'll meet in the middle. Seven. Seven of those should be elite. After all these guys leave that I just named, who steps into that role? Andrew Luck showed he could be one of the best quarterbacks in the league when he's healthy, but that is looking like it could never happen again because the Colts have no idea what they're doing with him. Carson Wentz has shown he's been pretty good, but he's only a second-year player, so still a lot of growth that he needs to do. This year, they're 6-1, best record in the NFL right now. He's coming off a four-touchdown game, so it's showing that he could be there. Alex Smith, he's having a good year so far, but that's just not... I don't think that's consistent. I don't think he puts up big enough numbers to be an elite quarterback. His team might win games, but elite quarterbacks, you think of teams and players that can go out and win games by themselves. And I don't think that's Alex Smith by any means. And then you got the Raiders, Derek Carr. He plays inconsistent from times to time. And then the Bears, Mitch Trubisky, okay. Hasn't shown anything really so far, so that's a little concerning. Buccaneers, Jameis Winston, everybody, he's so highly touted, but I haven't seen anything super impressive from him so far. I don't see the growth that's necessary to become this elite quarterback. Trevor Simeon for the Broncos, he is super questionable. I don't think he's good enough to be a quarterback in the NFL. He's a game manager at best. Teddy Bridgewater for the Vikings, who might be a good quarterback. I only think he's good enough to be a game manager. The Lions, Matthew Stafford, he's not elite enough because he's not consistent enough. So who is who are going to be these quarterbacks to step up? Obviously, people are going to peg Carson Wentz, um, Jameis Winston, Jared Goff, who is progressing nicely from year one to year two. They're going to look at Russell Wilson. They're going to look at Cam Newton. They're going to look at all these players. Deshaun Watson, maybe, having a good rookie year so far down in Houston. But who is going to step up and fill this void? Because they're. I think the media is forcing so much praise and so much pressure onto these quarterbacks already to be elite that they're just kind of... They're just trying to make people elite because they know that the game needs those type of players. Once all these other players that at the position are elite, are getting they're getting older. That ha- obviously it happens. Ben flirted with retirement last year. I think he has one or two more years after this year, and then he's done. I think he lets the Steelers know when he's going to go because they have been so loyal and so helpful to him in his career as, or- as an organization. But like I said, the whole question with this and my problem with it is the media is just forcing the term elite and being being looked at as these next level elite quarterbacks that there are still so many question marks around these guys that they're giving that tag to that it's concerning to me. And they obviously know that it is needed once all these guys get out of the game, but let's just slow our roll. Let's hold our horses on some of these guys. And now after that, I got off the soapbox. We are going to talk about the World Series. You got the Astros against the Dodgers. I am going to take the Dodgers in this one. I think Kershaw and Darvish and the rest of that pitching staff is going to step up. The knock on Kershaw has always been that in the playoffs, he has gotten the job done. I think he's sick and tired of hearing all that bullshit, and I think that's exactly what it is going to be after this series. Bullshit. I think he pitches two gems, game one and game six for the Dodgers, and I think that offense with Josh Turner, who hit the walk-off in game two or three, 
against the Cubs, and then Bellinger and Seager, who they didn't have in the last series, Seager, who is a great young player for them, and Adrian Gonzalez as well, and then the just guy that has slept on so much but makes huge impact, Yasiel Puig. I really hope he wins the MVP of this series just because I think he brings so much confidence and I guess you could say cockiness at times to this team and to the league that he's just an exciting player, a brash player, Player, speaks his mind, does whatever the hell he wants out there, but I like that style of play. I think he has a big series, and like I said, hopefully he wins MVP. On the other side of this series, the Astros, there are no slouches. Justin Verlander, Dallas Keuchel, Jose Altuve, they've got some weapons. I don't think by any means this series is a sweep or that it's not going to be competitive at all. I think it goes probably six games, like I said, and I think Kershaw, they turn to him in game six to close it out, finish it up, and I think he does just that. I'm going to take the Dodgers in a very nice, very competitive series, but Dodgers in six. And I'm just a hard right you got to think the MLB is so pissed off that the Astros won that because think of the huge markets, L.A. and New York. Those are the two biggest markets in the country. Granted, it would suck time-wise for the Yankee fans who would have to stay up or reverse, sorry, the Dodger fans that have to stay up so late for the New York games, whatever, hell with that. But... Like I said, MLB probably a little upset that they didn't get the World Series in the two biggest markets. Shout out to my dad for pointing that little antidote out. But like I said, Dodgers, big series from Kershaw, hopefully a big series from Mr. Yasiel Puig. And they are your 2017 World Series champions. Then after that, we are going to move on to the NBA talk that I mentioned a little bit of. My only real note of this is Russell Westbrook is still balling out. Got a triple-double in his first game. That doesn't seem to be the problem. What is a little bit of a problem is their lack of depth off the bench. But that trio of Paul George, uh, Carmelo Anthony, and Russell Westbrook seems to be gelling very nicely. Then some rookies that we can talk about. Ben Simmons just got his first triple-double. That's going very well. He is panning out very nicely through the first five games for Philadelphia. Him, Embiid, Fultz, Redick, that whole squad right there they're gonna be dangerous in the east I don't think they make the Eastern Conference Finals don't think they make the semis but they're gonna be a fun exciting team to watch with that youth that they have at the core of their team another rookie you got Alonzo Ball he is a big matchup one-on-one -on -one against John Wall this Wednesday people are making it such a big deal to go after Alonzo he's a rookie so he's already gonna get gone after he's a laker already gonna get gone after he was a high pick in the draft number two already gonna get gone after but lavar just adds so much pressure to him and i really wish he would just shut up a little bit maybe hold a press conference once every two weeks not after every game that he has so far but that's on the media's fault as well obviously i'm covering him right now uh, yeah i'm part of the media i said it i went out on that limb do something about it if you disagree but the media, they go up and they stick the microphones in his face and try and get the sound bite and the interview after every game. And I'm obviously talking about him right now. So it's our fault that he even gets the recognition that he does. But I wish he would just chill out a little bit, give Lonzo a little bit of the pressure off of him because Lonzo's a good player. He almost had a triple-double, I think, in his second game after Patrick Beverly, I think, really got in his head the first game. But like I said, those two rookies, I'm interested to see how they're going to keep going throughout mm -hmm. the year and how this year pans out for both of them. I think those two are the front-runners so far, and I think they're going to be the front-runners all year for Rookie of the Year. And then my last thing I want to talk about was the MVP race. I said James Harden is going to win. I still think that... But I didn't think Giannis Akatapuko was going to be ready enough to take on that superstar MVP level role. And uh, I want to apologize to him. And he has he's averaging 36 points and he's getting those points. He's not really shooting threes. He's not a three-point shooter. He's getting them with jump shots and attacking the room. And you just don't see those type of level of high 
uh, point averages with really only two pointers, which I think is super impressive. Hasn't been a player that has done that in a while. His assist ratio has gone up every year. Through the first four games, he's averaging the most he has over his career. I understand it's only five games, but um, his rebound, he's affecting the game in so many ways, and that's what MVPs do. So, uh, Giannis, I apologize, and you are a legitimate contender for MVP of the National Basketball Association. And then, like I said, we're going to talk about golf here. Tiger Woods has started swinging full speed again. I love to see it. I hope he breaks Jack Nicklaus's record because I think Tiger is the best and most dominant golfer. Some people like to say, hey, Jack is the best golfer. Tiger was the most dominant. I could, If he doesn't break his record of majors, I'm okay with that distinction of Jack is the best, Tiger is the most dominant totally okay with that what I I in no way do I claim to be a golf swing expert good at golf or anything the only expertise I have on it is watching the Hank Haney project between Ray Romano and Charles Barkley that's all I got what I have noticed from the videos that I've seen with Tiger Swing is he retooled his swing a couple years ago, and he was really throwing his entire body into swings. You could see how he would start up high at the back of his swing and just come crashing down with his shoulders. I look like an idiot right now in my room in the studio recording this because I'm doing the swing motion myself, but he was throwing his entire body, it looked like, into the swing. And now with what I've seen so far in his I don't want to say new swing because I don't really think he's retooled it. I think he's probably made some adjustments because his past swings, I think, really took a lot of wear on his body, especially his oldest, his most recent one that he is kind of diverting away from with the entire body, all the pressure and weight being thrown into it. I think he made some adjustments where that's not going to be the case because he doesn't want his body to keep um, letting him down because he wants to keep playing, obviously. he. I think he's got a bit longer of a career going on. Like I said, he's not throwing the entire weight into it. He's more of a smooth swing, so I like that adjustment. Hopefully Tiger can come back, play strong, I think he's got to play probably about five or six tournaments before the match. Mm. Five to eight. Five to eight tournaments before the Masters just because he's people want him there. People want him on the tour, and he is such a big name and such a big draw that PGA wants him there and the fans want him there, and if he's going to have to any shot to be in contention for majors, he needs to play more because... You can't play two tournaments, take a month and a half off, and think you're going to be able to just step in and play and win tournaments because you don't get that competitiveness. You don't get the pressure. You don't get the reps in in game, in round, that you do just by going on the range and practicing and playing practice round and stuff. But like I said, five to eight tournaments before the Masters, if his body can handle it, I don't think you'll force it, but I think he might push it a little bit more because I think he's feeling a little bit of pressure to get back because father time is catching up with him a little bit. But just happy to see Tiger Woods back out, swing the club as hard as he can, and he's still got that patent sweet, sweet twirl that he has of the club after some beautiful ball strikes. And so that will do it for this Halloween edition of Carson Sack Podcast, episode 24. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, that I feel like I have to say now, um, like, subscribe, rate, review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back next week, barring any surprises or any big school events or school projects or school tests or anything like that. Um... Thank you, as always, for listening. And so, to end this Halloween episode of Carson Sack, please enjoy the song stylings of Michael Jackson with the song Thriller. And as always, on Carson Sack, where we talk balls, in closing, I would just like to say, we will be seeing you.